Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hey, everybody. It's Chris coming to you from the editing room. Just wanted to jump out in front of this episode because uh, our topic this week requires us to kind of get in the weeds of a lot of games, some of which are current or about to be current and some of which are much older. But I wanted to get out in front and just give a general spoiler warning for the games that we talk about this week because there was no way to do this topic without kind of getting into some twist endings. So going to list them if you don't want to be spoiled on them. We'll talk to you next week. I get it. But uh, in no particular order, we talk a little bit about Tales from the Borderlands. We talk about Final Fantasy VII, Metal Gear Solid 2 II and 5, Bioshock, Spec Ops The Line, Undertale, Katana Zero, Silent Hill 2, and Batman Arkham Asylum. Any of those are on your list of things to play and you don't want to be spoiled about any twists. We'll talk to you next week. Otherwise, come on in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. I'm Dylan. And we have another special guest this week. We have a guest on the episode. Uh, guest, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Alex. I am from a podcast called Super GG Radio. Thank you for yep. having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for being on. Uh, before we dive too far in, tell tell everybody a little bit about Super GG Radio. What kind of show are you? What do you What do you talk about? Super GG Radio is a gaming podcast uh, just about friends hanging out. Uh, our main focus ends up being that we try to beta test a lot of games or try pre-release demos. Oh, uh, super early, cool. Yeah, early games. And then we have had uh, a couple of actual devs on a show who we've interviewed and talked about the process. And it's kind of interesting because with that kind of how they make the game and specifically in beta test, they ask for feedback. And that's kind of our way of giving them feedback. We've talked to them afterwards, post episodes, and they've said, okay, I see what you're saying. Let me go ahead and try that. Or I think we we nailed it this time. You should try That's it out really again. That's really cool. That's okay. awesome. I dig yeah. it. I dig it. Um, All right. And this is going to oh, be a dumb question, so I'm sorry. But is Super <laughs> GG Radio, is, is that a Jet Set Radio reference? It's, jet, it's a little mix of Jet Set Radio and then also just being uh, an online gamer, you know, the first, like as soon as you finish any kind of match, Overwatch, GG? You know, Rainbow Six Siege. Mm, good game. So I got yeah. you. I got you. That's good. I love it. Very cool. Trust me, I've looked into trying to pay that guy to say Super GG Radio. He's really hard to get a hold of. <laughs> that would be uh, incredible, no. though. That'd be so good. Tur- turns out he's an actual real big celebrity, and he's on how to how to get away with murder. 
Oh, and, dang. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he's not on social media, so it is tricky. <sighs> Trust me. Good, good, <laughs> for right, the, right. good for the Jet Set Radio dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, uh, keep at it, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I long for the day where we tune in and hear Super GG Radio. That'd be fucking dope. Yeah, we're we're gonna talk about a uh, a topic. We we actually asked Alex if he had anything that was particularly like on his mind as far as stuff that he could talk about that kind of fit within the bounds of our show. And Alex emailed us just saying unreliable narrators, and we both said yes. Uh, <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna dive into sort of this this concept to to start off before we dive into like the games that do it. How would y'all describe like this is you know. This is Eng- like English 101 kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. what do we mean when we're talking about an unreliable narrator? Um, an unreliable narrator is, and I, th- I think it's a little weirder for video games, but we'll, we'll tackle that bridge when we get there. That's yeah. not an idiom. <laughs> 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 I'm fucking tackle that bridge, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, in, in literature, it's the idea that uh, the person telling you the story, if it's a first person Uh, perspective the person telling the story is either lying intentionally or unintentionally about the events going on or they're giving you a skewed and biased portrayal of what they are doing uh so i think i think the example used to educate me uh in high school was the telltale heart where the narrator is like i'm such a genius this this man that i killed he was looking at me uh wrong and i knew i know he's evil yeah, and yeah. you know it's really more of like this dude's crazy he just killed a dude and now he's hallucinating that he's hearing the heartbeat out of paranoia yeah a lot of lot of edgar allan poe uses it a lot of uh oh what's the dude who writes books that are incredibly hard to read faulkner um <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I, I took a, I took an English class in college that was basically all about like how narratives are used in literature, and we read a lot of Faulkner, and I did not enjoy it. Um, <laughs> also, a lot of Chuck Palahniuk. Chuck Palahniuk yep. does that a Chuck, lot. Chuck Palahniuk does mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, in film, you've got things like The Usual Suspects or uh, Boondock Saints. I mean, Boondock yeah, Saints. Yeah, I mean, Boondock like, Saints. Yeah, kind of <laughs> like yeah. Boondock Saints makes their detective a really great unreliable narrator, but you're also like in on the bit. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, identity american psycho yeah there's mm, really definitely. any any movie that where the the twist is like but it wasn't that way after all you've probably been dealing <laughs> with some degree of an unreliable narrator in there yeah. um, for, for me it's a little tricky only because with video games there isn't necessarily a narrator and it's, yeah so it ends up being the unreliable protagonist yeah, yeah. or yeah. sometimes the unreliable scenario and yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll get into I think a that few might different... be that might be a better. Yeah, we'll um, get into a few different examples of this. Uh, to kick us off, do y'all want to do Metal Gear or Final Fantasy? Let's let's start with Metal Gear. I feel All like right. that's. Yeah. Um, are we are we gonna do uh, two or five? So five is my particularly favorite Metal Gear. Okay. Because uh, the way the the all of the Metal Gears worked, you're supposed to be the super secret spy who can do all these abilities, but they always felt kind of janky and at odds with the, the technology. And five, mm-hmm. they fully realized what you could do as a spy. Okay. Yeah. Um, five is actually, definitely I'm, the Metal I'm... Gear game I've, I've played the most of. And I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed, I didn't, I never finished it because I moved it's a away long from, game. I moved away from Dylan who had the PS4. Also, yeah, I, I moved out. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it felt like a very cohesive game in as far as like, they really th- seem to think through like, basically everything that your whole toolbox would allow you to do out in mm-hmm. 
the Afghanistan playground. Yeah, <laughs> the Afghanistan playground. What a playground it was. <laughs> true, true. Um, I, I definitely enjoy Five. Um, I, I think a lot of people, there's been a controversial uh, reception to the plot twist at the end of Five, but I think it actually put the rest of the series in perspective for me. And so uh, going back and playing through one, and I already knew about it in two because two is such a out there game that like it's hard not to think about it. But like even three and four, like it kind of put into perspective. Maybe not the unreliable narrator, but uh, just kind of like what Snake's role in this virtual—not literally virtual, but like you know this playground of Metal Gear Solid. Um, the, anyway, we're we're yeah. going into spoilers, of course, for a lot yeah, of these games. Yes, uh, for, for actually, many of these, just, the, we should the... drop a blanket spoiler statement for. And we'll list the games either yeah, in post or in the episode description. I'll put it in the episode description. I'll hop in. I'll, I'll record something when I'm editing and stick it before okay. uh, before the episode starts. But yeah, for a lot of these, you don't learn about the unreliability until like some kind of twist at the end or some kind of like midway point gotcha kind of moment. So, so in Metal Gear 5, you are Big Boss who is tasked with creating his own mercenary island called Outer Heaven. And... As it turns out, at the end of the game, you find out... The, the, the game starts with you making a character creator, but the big boss and Snake, just in general, always looks the same. So why would you make a character creator? Yeah. Which that's, that made me laugh really hard when you make... You, I yeah. spent like 10, 15 minutes it's making such a myself. Good, it's I was such a super good uncomfortable because I was like, what's going on? Um, it is probably the most Kojima moment Kojima has had. It's really funny. In years. <laughs> You make you make your character, and instantly you're just Snake. You just go back yeah. to that same person you know. And the reason why you made a character was because you were a no-name pilot who was in a car, who was in a, a helicopter accident helicopter crash, with yeah, yeah, with Sorry. Big Boss, and they did a face swap. So when you're going and doing these missions throughout Metal Gear Solid Five as Big Boss, you aren't Big Boss. You you're are just body this, double. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's so good i'm sorry i, I don't mean to talk over no. you yeah no, for me no, the I... best the best part of that twist though is that anyone who's played the msx games metal gear and metal gear 2 mm-hmm. and metal gear 1 you've killed big boss metal gear 2 it's your the last boss is, is big boss again and he says oh that was just a body double <laughs> i yeah, didn't realize yeah. that i didn't know that oh, that was yeah, playing yeah. so deep into they really the had the snake eating gear. its own tail yeah that's they, they incredible took... They they took the very video gamey premise of the bad guy from the last game is back, um, and they they actually they came up with an explanation for it, probably one they didn't need, but one that works within the context of Metal Gear Solid Five, um, and I I feel like so something that I always kind of admired about the Metal Gear Solid games is that like thematically a lot of them are about um, video game avatars who realize you know, that this life of being a hero, being this selfless person is dehumanizing and sucks. Um, Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that is these video game protagonists gaining their own agency. Um, And Metal Gear Solid V is, you are that avatar. Everything that you are doing as punished Venom Snake is uh, your own stake in that world. Um, 
which is getting a little off topic, but like I, I, I don't think we've had a chance to talk about Metal Gear Solid Five on the show before. So I don't think we actually have somehow. That's that's, that's kind <laughs> of why I'm jumping at the bit to talk about it. <laughs> it actually it actually drives home for me the theme that I've seen throughout Metal Gear, which was how far are you willing to go for your country for the greater mm-hmm. good, and are you willing to die for it? Where the ending of Metal Gear Five, he has realized who he is and how he's not Big Boss. And he continues to be Big Boss. And the final scene is the ending of Metal Gear 1 where Snake is going and destroying Outer Heaven and coming for him. And he's like, okay, let's go. All right, let's do this. <laughs> let's go. I know what needs to happen. That's awesome. I yeah. I know that Kojima and the Metal Gear series gets a lot of flack for like how convoluted it gets. But when it comes together like that... like. Nobody else is doing that kind of shit with their, like, long-running series. Right, right. Like, tying like into the, the an old NES about... game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... The thing about Metal Gear is, like, when you play them in sequential order, like, even though there's a lot of information hitting you, it it's doled out neatly enough that, like, you 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 won't exactly be lost. Yeah. Uh, with the possible exception of two, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> But I, I think, like, 5 does a real good job of kind of cleaning it up and, and boiling it down to its barest essentials. Yeah. And 5 is a good example of, like, one very common way of using this idea of the unreliable narrator, where, like, you don't necessarily know that it's unreliable until that moment. And then that yeah. causes you to, like, re-engage with what you've seen before and go back and, like, think a little bit more closely about everything that you've seen up to that point. Mm-hmm. Which is what these kinds of literary things are great for, is this they make you, you know, care a little bit more and think a little more deeply about what you're consuming. I, yeah. think, I, I think what I like about these unreliable protagonists is that it recontextualizes what your goal was. Yeah. And in this case, throughout the and 5, they, the villain keeps saying, you've been very busy doing this stuff and this stuff and... You've kind of been doing it throughout the game, but you usually think he's referring to that. And it turns out, no, there's an, the real big boss is out there doing his yeah. own thing. Like, you are not making Outer Heaven. You are making a decoy Outer Heaven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it, it kind of it makes you feel small, and it makes the actual big boss feel that much greater to the point where, like, you could never be him, almost. Yeah. Because uh, there, there's never been a game, like, with the exception of Peace Walker, uh, I don't think you, you really play Big Boss as Big Boss as the final boss of the MSX games. No, I don't think so, no. It, it's really cool. I feel like we have a lot of content to go through, so yeah. we might have <laughs> yeah. to roll through this. Yeah. But... <laughs> let's, let's roll right on to Metal Gear Solid 2, because it sounded like Dylan had opinions to share. So, it, it's because I've, I've, I've replayed Metal Gear Solid 2 recently, and it's in full for the first time in like a decade <laughs> uh but yeah no Metal Gear Solid 2 so to to start with like the most uh basic embarrassed essential the main character of Metal Gear Solid 2 Raiden is oh boy um so Raiden has fake memories uh all of the people he's been talking to uh specifically his commanding officer doesn't exist he's an AI um it, certain events that we have seen in the game may or may not have actually happened. 
uh, he frequently is, like, looking at the events of what does happen right in front of his face and says, "This, there's no way this can be real. This feels like a nightmare. He may be in VR, but he might not be. Um, and, like, the game just keeps throwing these questions and these plot twists and these relevations, revelations blah, um, at you. And there's never... You the, you, the the player, never has a chance to get situated. And this is, again, another example of more unreliable scenario than unreliable narrator but like Raiden himself tries to present himself as sort of an everyman like you know his name's Jack and it's the boring name his parents gave him but then like a late game plot twist is that Raiden Raiden's parents died when he was very young because he's a child soldier and was uh fighting a war in Libya that the the main villain recruited him to into like you you never really know what's the truth and more information keeps getting blasted at you so that you never really know who anyone is not and even the person you're controlling it and like conflicting conf- yeah yeah you'll have one person tell you one thing and so we have a friend who we've been uh forcing to play through all of them because he'd never played or heard any of it <laughs> he's, he's on three right now and having a blast but mm. th- at this point we still we we had like a half an hour debate about what was real and what wasn't mm-hmm and it just it just because they one person will tell you one thing, one person will tell you another, and then you'll find out one person was a liar, but the other person was evil, and you're just like, wait, who was who was correct? <laughs> and so if you that, oh yeah no go I ahead. was gonna say that's such an interesting contrast to what we were just talking about with five, where like five, you don't really have any reason to believe that anything is off, or like at least nothing glaring to make you yeah. think that like oh I'm not actually big boss until yeah. that reveal. It really just kind of sucker punches you at the yeah. end. Whereas um, this is much more a case of, like, they want you to be unsure. They yeah. want you throughout the game to be questioning what's going on. Oh, one almost of my, 100%. One of my favorite things about Metal Gear Solid 2 is that um, you have the option of skipping the kind of prologue chapter where you play a snake. Um, but if you do that, uh, there's a line in the game where Raiden says, like, I've I've done the the tanker incident, uh, which is the name of the prologue, um, through VR, and then Snake's like, I bet you didn't play the real thing, and then they're showing you like footage of the prologue that you just have blatantly never played, um, <laughs> and it's it's kind of like, well, was I playing a Snake or was I playing as Raiden in VR? Because Raiden also has lines about like doing VR that only happen if you've played the prologue as Snake. Huh. Uh, and so it's this whole thing of like, was that just a simulation? <laughs> <laughs> the the funnier part was that the VR bit where they're talking about like that's how they trained him was through VR. Mm-hmm. That was just bonus missions that were for funsies in Metal Gear Solid One. And if you beat uh, when you're fighting Metal Gear Ray or the multiple Metal Gear Rays at the end of the game, the room you're fighting them in looks like the VR uh, chamber where you can take pictures of Naomi and Mei Ling in the PS1 expansion to Metal Gear Solid 1. Yeah. My brain hurts. <laughs> yeah. So is the whole game in VR? Probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. I I can't tell you. That's rad. <laughs> um, again, like that, so, like you, you saying oh, yeah. that, you know, you, you're playing through this with your friend who's never played it before and you're managing to have these debates about this game that, what, Metal Gear Solid 2 is... It came out in 2001, I believe. I was about to say, like, gotta be almost 20 years old at this point. Yeah. And it's still something that can engage with you and, like, 
that's kind of the the power of these sorts of like do you know the whole story do you know what really happened i don't know no (laughs) (laughs) so um in late high school and college i spent a lot of time like reading metal gear solito conspiracy theories (laughs) uh yeah shut up powerful (laughs) and yeah i, I still uh, read those <laughs> yeah they're, they're good it. it's good shit um the i you know the most frequent thing is the vr theory where like i was kind of teasing uh the entirety of metal gear solid 2 takes place in vr um also side note uh we we didn't get to talk about the alienation effect which was what our next episode was going to yeah. be on we'll, we'll get uh, there next week we'll get there yeah um but i think to explain the alienation effect real quick, um, it's this theater technique that kind of points out the artifice of what's going on on stage uh, to kind of bring the audience out of the um, illusion that yeah. they are watching a story with, like, characters that could be real people. Um, and so, you know, I would say that uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 uses the alienation effect to bring attention to the fact that it is a video game that you are playing. Um at one point, the, one of the characters, the AI, tells you, hey, you should turn off the, the console now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Haven't you played enough? Like, go outside. <laughs> like, like the fucking, what was, what was that thing in, was it the Wii or the D, or the Wii U? There was some game for, like, the Wii or the Wii U that, like, after you played it for an hour, Hideo Kojima was just like, I think you've had enough. Go, go see the sun. <laughs> uh, that, I mean, Hideo Kojima? On yeah, the Wii U. no, no. <laughs> No, I think the Wii used to do that, just in general. Yeah, yeah, just to... Yeah, it's like of... the, the Netflix effect of, like, are you still watching? You've watched yeah, eight yeah. hours of Great British Bake Off. Are you okay? <laughs> do we need to call someone? <laughs> I've done that. Yeah, I'm honestly same. No, you know what? No not judge. even a lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel it. Um, But I, I think... So, there's all that, but... Uh, Something I don't see a lot of these uh, sites and these theory um, theory people, I don't know, uh, talk theory about crafters. is the... Theory crafters, yeah. Uh, is the snake tales that came with the re-release of Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> you've, you've talked about this before. Every time you hear that, I just get the DuckTales theme stuck in my head. <laughs> snake tales. <laughs> well, now that's all I got. Yep. Life yep, is yep. like a hurricane. Hurricane. Snake tales. Snakeberg. Snakeberg, yeah. Don't go snake to Snakeberg. <laughs> Anyway, um, so what the the snake tales are is that people hated Raiden when Metal Gear Solid 2 came out, um, and when they re-released the game, Kojima was like, all right, here's a bunch of little side missions that star Solid Snake uh, as a quote-unquote apology for, um, you know, Raiden. And so when you play those, like, I, I've seen a lot of people talk about them, like, oh, they're really shallow. Um they're like these kind of non-canon, like alternate scenarios, uh, reusing the same levels and assets, uh, and right. there aren't any cutscenes. They're just kind of like these text boxes that summarize the action of what goes on. Hmm. Um, and I I didn't play these until uh, recently because they were on hard mode, and you have no radar, and uh, the controls in Metal Gear Solid Two are really wonky. They're very clunky. Um, when you get used to them, they're all right, but, like, you know, I was just ready to play Metal Gear Solid 3 at that point. (laughs) Uh, but, like, I went back and I'm like, oh, wait, shit, I really like Metal Gear Solid 2. So, um, I was doing the Snake Tales, and the more I was playing them, the more I'm like, hold on. And so, 
as you progress through them, uh, you get to the the final one, which I I don't remember what the names are. Like they all start with a letter, so it's A B C D E. I got to mm-hmm. E, and it starts playing with like VR. Um, you are like in VR. You are playing a snake. Um, in previous missions, uh, it's talking with a third person perspective, but this mission's talking with a first person perspective. Um, and you uh. You're playing a snake. Uh, you like are hunting like some sort of uh, creature that's inhabiting the the lake where Big Shell takes place, um, and it's 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 an absurd premise. Like it, it is very cartoonish and out of sorts with the type of stories Metal Gear is typically known for, um, but still with that like Kojima brand of humor. Um, but you're basically hunting, like, trying to get a picture of a giant guard. Um, and then as this gag story is happening, you are frequently, like, switching in and out of different VR missions. Um, and then there's this whole plot about, like, a multiverse. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, uh... It start. They start talking about this idea that like the universes are converging through VR, and it it's all really hokey and bullshit. But I think the interesting thing is like, um, some of the missions are very hard, and you have to redo them and redo them until you get a high enough score. And as you like stop and start the different missions, um, and this whole multiverse plot is happening. Uh, Solidus, the main villain of Melgarsal Two, kind of comes along. And he's like. Um, I am looking for a universe in which I don't die. And by you reloading your saves and, like, making it so that you try to kill me, you are lowering the number of universes in which I can live. And it's it's this really weird, like, story about, like, how through the player's perseverance, he is eradicating other the likelihood of other universes. And... Okay, so the reason why I am talking about this is because it brings into perspective all the other side missions you've been playing and how, like, they could be alternate universes, or the whole thing could just be VR, and this is a weird story that's meant to tie them all together. Um, And there's no definitive answer, but it really also kind of makes you look at the original Metal Gear Solid 2 and you're like, is this VR or is this just a series of alternate universes that are converging? (laughs) I don't know. Into the snake verse over here. Into the snake verse, yeah. And I think what's interesting to me is that, like, because uh, the snake tails are only there because it was based on the uh, the the players the player not wanting to accept the story of Metal Gear Solid Two because it does take a lot of weird turns and it does have a very inconclusive ending. The snake tails almost feel like they're unreliable to kind of play with that like you're not going to get what you want um so you can keep playing and replaying these missions and try to trick yourself into thinking that i don't know it's really hard to explain but i i feel like it's this kind of purgatory for people who aren't (laughs) satisfied with the conclusion of you're constantly stuck playing these missions forever yeah exactly (laughs) i'll show you to complain about my game yeah Like this is this is me like reading into it super deep, but that's hey, that's what I do. What on this what show. else do we do? <laughs> yeah, all of all of us people who make video game podcasts—that's all we're doing. <laughs> really delve deep here. I feel like 
people need to like give the snake tails another look you don't even have to like play them yourself because some of them are like kind of bullshit honestly but like (laughs) i recommend like looking them up online or something yeah i definitely will now so what do y'all say uh that we duck into uh, alex for your benefit we we do sort of like a middle of the episode promo zone that we call the playbill uh so we're gonna what do you say we dive into there and then we uh and then when we come out the other side we will get into some of the weirder things that are on the docket as as i say as if into the snake verse is not yeah (laughs) (laughs) but you know what i mean yeah yeah all right yep nope that sounds good to me Guest first, why don't you give a little bit more insight into what Super GG Cast is and where people can find it? Super, Super GG Radio, Radio Super can... GG Cast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let me keep that branding consistent. I know, right? <laughs> uh, Super GG Radio, it can be found on most podcast services, Stitcher, Apple Apple Music, Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're on Spotify, which that's a little weird for me. I didn't realize that Spotify was for podcasts. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> until I started making this one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh and uh you can find us on Twitter at Super GG Radio. Uh we do we now have started streaming regular kind of shows uh uh twitch.tv slash super gg radio. Super cool. Um, multiplayer Mondays, two D Tuesdays, and as I said, we have Metal Gear Fridays now. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> yeah, so he's he's we we've gone through the entire he, the gamut from he's one through two and now he's going through three on Fridays. Fantastic. Awesome. So you, you, you skipped over the, the, the NES. Snake Tales. <laughs> you skipped over yeah. Snake Tales, you Skipped coward. over Snake Tales, skipped over the NES ones. I don't, mm. those aren't particularly fun, and I feel like that might not be a fun watch for him. That's I, fair. That's, that's fair. fair. Um, I, I think two has aged a lot better than one, but I, I still get where you're coming from. Yeah, and, and those can be kind of roughly explained throughout the process of what these games were and what they do. Yeah. And and again, we just uh, on our podcast, we just we we go we delve into our ever growing backlog, you know, games that we all have here as gamers. Yep. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, then we also try to make sure we focus on beta testing new and strange and interesting games. Um, some of the more interesting ones were uh, we just talked about recently, Talking Simulator. What is that? Where, an actual game? Yes, it's not out yet, but it's about. The idea that you're like uh, Octodad or yeah, something to yeah. that effect. You're an alien in a human robot body, and you have to use controls like the WASDs and your mouse to control your tongue to say certain words. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the weirder parts, what though, is that if you fuck? do it wrong, you start knocking out teeth with your tongue. That's, <laughs> that's horrifying. bizarre and incredible, and I love it. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, Talking Simulator was a was a fun dive. That's oh, I'm gonna wild. have to look that up. Yeah, I'm gonna have to listen to your your take on it. That's really weird. <laughs> I'll send you guys a link. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, thank you, thank you. And while we're just going running the gamut of podcasts, hey Dylan, what's your other podcast? Tell the tell the lovelies. Um. Okay. So Chris, do you like giant robots? I feel I like do we've like done giant this robots. joke before. Yeah. Um. I like giant robots. Uh. And so we talk about giant robots on. Dude, you remember Macross, uh, which I host with a mutual friend of Chris and mine, uh, Coop. And we we watched this old 80s classic uh, sci-fi anime, um, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross, and, we, and its associated media. 
and we we kind of go through uh by three episode chunks and we kind of summarize it give our commentary on the characters i try to you know i am not from japan uh but like i i try to kind of you know do a little bit of research and look at the cultural influences that may have created the show and the moments within um and it's a good time if that sounds interesting to you uh that is dude you remember uh what you can find at anchor.fm slash dude you remember like dude where's my car uh we are also on spotify google play and apple Podcasts. hell yeah one more podcast for the uh the playbill here we have to plug our friends over at the unexplored places it is an actual play podcast season two launched last week i'm so excited uh this coming week i think tomorrow when this episode comes out we'll get into our actual first play session but we are a uh, it's an actual play podcast using the Scum and Villainy game system for Season 2 about a bunch of semi-competent space adventurers. Uh, and it's a great time. It's GM'd by our friend Christine, who is a fantastic GM, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts or by going to unexploredcast.libsyn.com or following them on Twitter at unexploredcast. I have one personal thing I want to plug this week just because I'm still really excited about it. The first game that I am in as a voice actor released last week when you're hearing this. Uh, it's a game called Pine. It's available on PC through Steam. It's a adventure simulation game about trying to uh, negotiate relationships between a bunch of different like tribes of animal people and either turning them against each other or making them like you in order to protect humankind. Uh, it looks really cool. I haven't gotten to play it yet, but I'm. it is on my list, and I am in it, and it's coming to Switch in November if you want to wait for a Switch release, and I'm still fucking jazzed that I have a video game credit now, so check out Pine. It looks really cool. Congrats on that. Yeah, I actually applied you. to beta test that one. Oh, really? Super cool. Yeah, I've heard of that one. I, yeah, I was it, very interested. It looks really cool. It looks like a very ambitious sort of game, and it looks way more polished than you would think for a team of, like, seven developers, <laughs> so definitely gonna gonna give that a try myself and see if i can find the character somewhere deep in its depths that i play a couple quick thank yous one thank you to the hp video game podcast network for having backstage gaming as part of their network of shows uh it's a bunch of podcasts all about video games there's things like uh game dev diaries which is more on the development side there's super gamer boys which is more on the uh chatting about games and chatting about backlogs and just sort of gaming news sort of thing uh, there's something for everybody if you like video games and podcasts, so, you know, everybody. And you can find the whole network by going to Twitter, and it's twitter.com at HPVGPodNetwork, if I remember the handle correctly, which I'm pretty sure I do. Uh, and thank you, as always, to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. Uh, you guys help us keep the lights on, and by light I mean website. But it really is incredible that we have the support that we have, that you guys are helping us to not lose money making this weird podcast and with web hosting fees and all that kind of nonsense. So thank you. And if you like what we do and want to help us do it more and do it better, uh, patreon.com slash bsgpod is the place to do that. I don't have anything else to plug. Do you, either of you have anything else you want to throw out into the ether? Uh, no, I think I, I think that's pretty much sums it up for us. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, one thing is that we are going to be doing Extra Life this year. Oh, fantastic. Uh, where you know you, we, we're going to be streaming for 24 hours, uh, November 16th, for the Children's Miracle Network, and asking anybody to join in, or if anybody wants to join our team, help raise money, stream themselves. It's all non 
committal. We don't want people right, to feel pressured right, to do right. anything. But. but Extra Life is an awesome organization. Uh, so yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And what's what's your Twitch handle so people can find you and follow you for that? Uh, it is uh, twitch.tv slash superggradio. Fantastic. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's get back into talking about the actual interesting stuff that we're here to talk about. Um, <laughs> uh, with Final Fantasy VII, you play as a character named Cloud, who whose backstory is he's a mercenary who worked as part of a mercenary group called Soldier. And you because, find out because through... they they really struggled with the localization of that game the first time around. It felt like no, yeah. I mean like it was supposed to be. I think it was always supposed to be Soldier, even if it's kind of goofy. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, as it turns out through the series, you find out that uh, his memories are actually of someone else. And with a near-death experience, they kind of mixed with being uh, radiation poisoned, caused him to like take the persona of someone else. And he has, there's background, uh, you know, flashbacks of his past. And people have those flashbacks as well. But at a certain point, they start saying, wait, you weren't, you weren't there for that. Yeah, that that yeah. not you. <laughs> yeah. No, I was just gonna say that's that's interesting because I further furthering my my reputation as a fake gamer boy. Um, I am only now finally playing through Final Fantasy VII now that I have it on the Switch because I never had a PlayStation growing up. <laughs> uh, and I was not I was aware of that plot twist. I was not aware that it was like a implanted memory type thing. I had always oh yeah. I had always interpreted it as like Cloud was lying through his fucking teeth. <laughs> The, in 7, they kind of, they don't really tell you, if, I think they kind of hint that he it, that it was implanted and he's not okay. really lying, but it's, uh, they had uh, other games that came out that were side stories of stuff that was happening or the stuff that happened before this game, uh, Crisis Core, and in that, okay. they make it very clear that it wasn't his fault. Gotcha, yeah. okay. Um, the It also doesn't help that the translation makes it kind of vague yeah. in, uh, in the original Final Fantasy 7. Um, but yeah, the, the, the first like huge instance of this moment like this is when Cloud is really kind of giving the player our first glimpse to the main villain of the game, Sephiroth. Um, and so the, uh, it's, it's a playable flashback and it's, it's like an hour and a half, um, maybe even two hours of you just kind of exploring Cloud's hometown uh, talking to different NPCs, and then like a flash of light will happen, and like Cl- like that is Cloud struggling to remember the actual things that happened, because you know part of it is like him self deluding himself. Another part is like that's an actual hole in his memory, and he doesn't know what happened. Yeah, and then you at a certain point when you meet the villain, there the villain kind of act, acts a little bit in the beginning like he doesn't really know you. Yeah, like Cloud like he doesn't. The, the flashback the... <laughs> ends with them about to have this like huge epic showdown, and then it kind of fades to white, and uh, one of the party members is like, well, what happened? And uh, Cloud's <laughs> like, I actually don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> was that your Barrett voice, Dylan? That was my Barrett voice. I thought so. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, 
But it's it's kind of funny because, you know, Cloud does have a showdown with Sephiroth, but it doesn't happen at the exact moment that he believes it to happen. And, you know, when, when you finally get the truth, it, it puts everything into perspective. But there's this constant like, well, okay, what about this? Uh, what about this? Yeah. And uh, just to kind of tie it back to Metal Gear 5, there is a photograph of Cloud and Sephiroth and Tifa, or the characters, at way back when. And the photo kind of alters, and he sees it correctly. And it's this other guy that kind of looks like him. And that's who his memories, he kind of took it from. And Isn't it basically just, just Cloud with his hair palette swapped to black? Yeah, yeah. kind of. He's got basically. longer hair. Yeah. <laughs> but then to the hair, right... Yeah to the right is a soldier in basic uniform that you can't even see his face. And that's cloud. So it actually, again, takes, it takes this photo that, you know, and they, they kind of, you know, harp on throughout the story. And they did that in metal gear solid five too, where they show boss and it's like, Oh, that's you. And then you look just slightly to the right. No name soldier. That's really you. That's yeah. You're, you were the grunt. Okay. A couple more things about final fantasy seven before we move on about halfway through the game. Um, after Eris dies. Spoiler, Eris dies. I feel yeah. like that's something more people know than Cloud's whole memory crisis yeah. thing. But, but again, we, yeah. we've got that full blanket spoiler warning at no, the beginning. No, I know. So. I, I'm actually... Most just people made it through the first disc and then stopped. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm taking the piss out of... Yeah, I uh, Eris dies. Um, Snake but anyway. kills her. <laughs> Fuck you. There we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Eris dies, and then, you know, Cloud gets super um, more into... Uh, chasing down Sephiroth, and so we finally meet Sephiroth at his kind of at his final destination. And there's uh, a few more plot twists that aren't relevant, so I'll kind of gloss over those. But it's it's kind of revealed that like some of Cloud's gaps in his memory are because he is injected with Genova cells, which are, for all intents and purposes, um, Genova's the thing, like from John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, space <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, space alien that infects people. Um, and so Cloud is actually Sephiroth, who is this weird hybrid of human and whatever Genova is, has like psychic per, uh, persuasion. That's not the right word, but uh, you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, he has like kind of a psychic control over Cloud. So this entire time, Cloud thinks he's been chasing Sephiroth for revenge, but he's actually Sephiroth is leading him here. And Cloud has about as much agency as some of Sephiroth's other uh, followers who are kind of devoted and fanatic and are basically a cult. Yeah. Um, And so I feel like that ties neatly into Bioshock, but I just realized there was one more thing I wanted to talk about, so (laughs) fuck. Um, Ignore this clear segue. (laughs) Yeah, ignore that clear segue for a second. We'll come back to it. Uh, (laughs) One of the cooler, like, after that, when uh, you find Cloud and you rejoin, like, before he rejoins the party... Um, you're playing as Tifa, and you're you're basically getting trying to get his psyche back together, and uh, a lot of that involves like kind of replaying the flashback you played at the beginning of the game, but now with Tifa kind of stepping in and being like poking holes in the story and being honest about like what she actually remembers. Yeah, and then they're saying like, no, that's not don't don't think that that's not what really happened. You got to think it this way, you know? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back to Bioshock. Yeah. <laughs> Segways. How does that work? Now, Bioshock uh, is, is Bioshock a... is, is kind of a classic one. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of the most well known. 
so so Bioshock kicks off for for anyone who needs like a quick refresher on it. You're you, you know, descend into the sea in this like submarine elevator, and you're seeing all of the stuff of like, welcome to the city of Rapture, a beautiful place where ev- where science is everything and Ayn Rand is God. Um, <laughs> and you get there and it's a hellhole. Bio- okay, we could honestly do like several different episodes looking at Bioshock from different angles. Bioshock does a lot narratively that's very mm-hmm. interesting. But for our purposes, God, it's been so long since I played Bioshock. I'm trying to remember like the sequence of events. If any of y'all have a fresher memory, feel free to, to cut me off. It's It's been a long time for me, too. And I'm, so, I'm not even sure if I played it all the way through. I think I uh, watched a friend play it and then got my own copy. But yeah, go ahead. I think what it, what it comes down to is that there is somebody who is saying that the leader of this city is evil. You need to go fight him. Yep. And, and Andrew Ryan, totally yeah. not Ayn Rand. No. <laughs> and uh, what it comes down to is that they are two rival gangs. One, the leader of Rapture, Andrew Ryan, uh, is is wants this idealist culture, while the secondary party wants, uh, I think, like more of like a mafioso. I want to say. I feel like that's right from what I remember. Yeah. And so they're constantly at odds throughout the city. What happened was he took Andrew Ryan's son, aged him up real quick, and kind of made him his own a sleeper cell. Where anytime that the words would you kindly is spoken, he has to do whatever is following as is the instruction. Which the reason why that's so interesting and plays with the idea, that's the tutorial. Yep. Yeah. Like they, they like it's like would okay, you duck. Pick up a crowbar or something. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's all it's almost. This is kind of getting into like the other half of the 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 way that games can play with unreliability that we were talking about, where like they're using the systems in addition to the narrative. So like the tutorial, you know, like you're saying, it's saying, "Would you kindly duck? Would you kindly come over here? Would you kindly shoot that or whatever?" And because Bioshock is a linear game you end up, as a matter of course, doing all the things that it says whenever you're to acti- told. To actively disagree with the commands is to not play the game. Exactly. Yeah. And so you, even though you, the player, are not like a sleeper agent, you're not the Manchurian candidate, but you are acting as though you are. So then when that is revealed, when you find out about that twist... It's not just something that makes you go back and re-examine the game. It makes you go back and, like, it recontextualizes your actions. It recontextualizes your actual gameplay in a way that is really interesting. Because <laughs> you start to think that that's just a catchphrase that guy has. That he just talks that way. Yep. Yeah. So he's like, hey, like, here's a mission. Would you kindly go and do this? And you're like, cool. That I have no yep, problem completing that mission. That's the game mission. There's a little objective marker for me. Cool. I, right, I'll, right. I'll go do that. It's, nope. It's real it's a really thoughtful way of Bioshock plays with agency and like kind of meta narrative and meta gameplay ideas in a lot of different ways, but that is one of the coolest and one of the like most striking examples of that kind of like, hmm, are you the player or have you been played? <laughs> And I'll see myself out now because that was one of the dumbest things I've ever said on this show. At least, at least you read it in a character voice. Yeah. It sounded like Andrew Ryan. Yeah, it wasn't me saying it. It was Andrew Ryan saying it. A man chooses a slave obeys. There we go. See? Yeah. Uh, that actually serves as kind of a, a neat segue 
into uh, the next kind of big discussion point. And then I've got a, like a couple little things I want to talk about after. Well, I guess maybe not the last big one because we also wanted to talk Undertale, but that serves as a really yeah. nice segue into Spec Ops. Yeah. So Spec Ops The Line is... It's a really good game in that it kind of convinces you early on that it's not a very good game. <laughs> like, Spec Ops The Line, when you start playing it, feels a lot like kind of your bog-standard late 2000s, early 2010s, over-the-shoulder shooter. Mm -hmm. You are an American serviceman. You're, like, sent into... I think it's meant to be, like, Dubai. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's something like that. Like a major a major city somewhere in the Middle East that has undergone like a horrible sandstorm. And you're given a mission to go in and, you know, neutralize any threats and get an important person out. And as you go, it's the same kind of thing that Bioshock does of like it presents you with a lot of missions that like, because it's a game, you just kind of do them. It's a linear shooter game, so you're just kind of, like, doing what the mission objective tells you and doing what the uh, the voice coming out of your walkie-talkie of your commanding officer tells you to do to get the mission done. Except that walkie-talkie ain't got no batteries in it. As you find out. Yep. <laughs> oh, shit. I've never played Spec Ops The Line. I, people have kept keep talking about it, and it's been on my list forever, but I have no real means of playing it. Yeah, it's an incredible game because, like, you find that, it's again, that thing of like, at the end of the game, you get this piece of information that recontextualizes everything you've done. But the things yeah, you, you've done, oh, sorry, go ahead. You're, you're trying to, you're trying to find this guy who had defected from your team. Do they and, name him Kurtz? I think because, so. Because Spec Ops The Line is very much like, it is a, it is a play on uh, Heart of Darkness, which is all about this guy heading up the Congo River to like, get this, uh, this officer who's defected out uh, uh joseph conrad by the yes. way yes thank you <laughs> it's a it's captain martin actually captain martin in spec ops the line okay but you're but, trying to get this guy who's defected he's kind of become this kind of warlord in this in this ravished country and throughout the time you're slowly dealing with these horrible things that you have you you're like oh these guys are other defectors and we got to just put a, our, our officers telling us to kill them yep and you you kill them, but as it turns out, that walkie-talkie is not telling you anything. Yeah, and then there's there's a famous scene where you call in a napalm strike. Yeah, and then, that's like the one thing I know about. Yeah, and then you know, surprise, surprise, that that group of people you just napalm strike probably civilians, probably yeah, not it, people that you needed to call fire from the sky down upon. And your your party that's with you starts to question you or they start to say like i don't see what you're seeing what are you seeing different and the big twist at the end you find captain martin and he's already dead he's been dead for a very long time yep so you've been doing all of these horrible things not at anyone's behest and not for any goal that was achievable and yeah. it is so good it's so bleak <laughs> <laughs> but like it's another great Example of, like, that idea of making you recontextualize the actions you've taken in play. Making you look at not just the story the game is tolling, but, or, tolling? Telling. Uh, but the part that you, as the player, actively played in that story. In a kind way that kind of... Like, did you do feel good doing that? Did yeah, good doing that? Yeah. yeah. It's the same kind of thing as, like, we've talked about this scene in Metal Gear Solid 3 before, to kind of tie it back earlier, where you you fight the, uh... Was it the the Sorrow? Yeah, the sorrow. 
and you you are forced to confront everyone that you have killed up to that point in the game. But it makes it like much more intrinsic to the entire experience of Spec Ops. It's it's a really interesting game, and if you can find a way to play it, it's well worth doing. It's on Steam, but I, it very rarely goes on sale. Yeah, and it's mm. it's the kind of game that like oh, it is on Steam. I think that okay. what makes it so effective is like it it's not even that mechanically interesting to play. Like it plays like any of the many, many, many like Gears of War, etc style game that were so popular in that sort of period of the late 2000s and so the fact that like you then have our face with like you did this you did all these terrible things and we didn't even make it that special or that engaging for you Mm -hmm. and you did it anyway (laughs) you were just hungry for another shooter yeah 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 and i like that like your your battalion starts to like turn on you and yeah like i don't think we should do this i don't think we should do that yeah but but games have, have trained you if you're the protagonist, you're the good guy. So them trying to back out, like, at the time when it starts to happen, it raises more questions in your mind about them, necessarily, than it automatically does about, like, what you're doing as the player. Yeah. So so you, the player, you are, uh, you have, so the walkie-talkie's broken. Um, does that mean, like, you're just doing everything out of a sense of paranoia? Or, like, who is, who is the voice that is doling out the, uh commands or is it or is it supposed to be uh unresolved i don't think they ever like tie it up with a neat bow okay yeah uh i think it's intended to be left open but it's it's okay kind of That's a meditation i just wanted like, to make sure yeah. i didn't miss anything yeah it's, no, no, no. it's one of those games though that you can find I, i've looked this up too when i was researching this one because I, I played this game but of course i had questions and they kind of say like oh he's had ptsd or he's had that um agent orange poisoning or one of mm. the theories I read was he was dead the whole time. You know, <laughs> like, fair. Oh, that's yeah, weird. There, I don't think that would be a wild one to be the canon solution. <laughs> but I mean, I could see, like, I could see potentially the uh, the explanation of like maybe you're playing as this captain who defected, and yeah, so when yeah, you I find him at too. the end, you're you know he, he dead and it you. <laughs> but. Anyway, that's that's getting a little bit further from further from the field of what we're doing, but like again, right, right. it's worth giving it a look. It's an interesting game, and even knowing that twist, it's interesting to look at it from a point of like knowing how it goes down and seeing how they how they set the stage for that. Uh, that actually kind of reminds me of fuck. I don't have the name of this movie on hand, but it was one of the things that inspired Silent Hill. But we can talk about that later <laughs> yeah well you wanted to talk about silent hill yeah. 2 yeah. a game where the the protagonist you start questioning whether that's somebody your your whether what's your agency as the player do you feel good about playing this character right um why don't we just slide right into that that feels yeah, like yeah that's kind of where silent like, okay, yeah, jacob's we're... ladder that's the name of the fucking movie yes jacob's um, ladder. <laughs> yeah yeah um but uh yeah so uh in in silent hill 2 you play as james and he, in his restless dreams, he sees that town, Silent Hill, uh, which is a, you know, uh, before the start of the game, or maybe always, we don't know. Um, <laughs> it was this sleepy, quiet little uh, Midwest town that has like a couple uh, tourist spots, like there, there's a park, and they, he and his wife uh, would go on vacation there and go to the hotel and gaze out at the lake, and it was very idyllic and wonderful. Um, but he gets a letter from 
his wife Mary, who is dead. Yeah, should, and I should not be able to mail years. letters, therefore. Yes. That's not um, how that works. But it's a letter that basically says, I'm waiting for you in Silent Hill. And so James goes to Silent Hill, you know, even if he's like, Mary's dead, He he's either going for the hopes of the possibility that she might be alive, or uh, just for answers. Like, one way or another, he needs to know why the fuck he got this letter. And throughout the game, you are having interactions with other characters who are... I, I talked about this last week, I believe, but, like, you know, they're, they're very spacey and out there. And, like, the way they talk is surreal and dreamlike. And, you know, compared to them, James seems relatively grounded. James feels like, you know, a bit of an everyman who just kind of stumbled into this weird purgatory-esque hellscape that is Silent Hill. But as, as you play through the game... Some of the other characters become more antagonistic towards James, and I've heard a lot of different reasons as to why this might be. One of the best things about Silent Hill 2 is its vagueness, and the idea that, like, what you're seeing in Silent Hill might not be what other characters are seeing in Silent Hill. And characters, like, there's a little girl, I forget her name, but she acts very hostile towards James. Um, One of the characters you meet early in the game, I I believe her name is Angela, she becomes more and more... I don't want to say aggressive to James, but, like, less and less trusting of him, I think, is a better way to frame it. And the more you play the game, the more you're like, you know what? Something might not be right with James, either. <laughs> they start they start hinting that he was not the perfect husband. Yes. Um, and the, you know, well, we put a spoiler warning, so I'll just get into it. The, uh, the plot twist near the end of the game is that as Mary's health was deteriorating, so was their marriage. Um, you know... Mary would act more hostile towards James because, like, you know, the your the knowledge of your mortality will make you stressed and agitated. And, you know, eventually it kind of culminates with James smothering her under a pillow um, and killing her himself. And so him coming to Silent Hill was, like, kind of an act of denial. Also, maybe uh, repentance, like a desire for repentance. Um... And so, like, you know, James is very much not an everyman. James is very much just as broken and messed up as the other characters you've been interacting with in the game. Yeah, um, he he consistently yeah. tries to play off a little bit like, hey, no, things were great and <laughs> everything was fine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my favorite ending for Silent Hill 2, because it's, it's a game with multiple endings. Um, my favorite, which feels like I don't know. If, if I were to do a movie adaptation of Silent Hill 2, and why would I? I feel like the game works best as an interactive medium. But if I were to adapt Silent Hill 2, I would do, I would choose this ending because it doesn't feel like overly repentant for James, but he also doesn't get off scot-free. There is a... Silent Hill may or may not have created a woman in Mary's image named Maria, who is like Mary, but she's a little bit more flirtatious. She's a little bit more sultry. Um, and she is there to torment James, and, like, she dies repeatedly, uh, throughout the game campaign, but one of the endings is James leaves the town with Maria, and as they're leaving Silent Hill, she starts coughing, and James says, you better do something about that cough. And it's, it's such like a, oh shit, James is, I've been controlling a monster! (laughs) Uh, Because the, the, the way the original voice actor says the line has like, 
you know, it's said as a joke, but it has just enough of an undercurrent of like, don't make me do this again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's it's so good. And, you know, not to belittle the new dub, but when I watched that scene in the new dub, uh, Troy Baker just kind of plays it off as a joke. Because, like I said, like, the uh, you know, uh, I, I said this last week, but the voice acting in the redub feels a bit more like them playing everything straight. And I think that's one of the best examples where, like, you know, when Troy Baker says it, it's kind of like, uh, we should probably do something about that cop, huh? Like, it's a joke. But it's but no. not. It's a threat. Yeah. <laughs> yup. <laughs> well, the other uh, part is that the villain, Pyramid Head, that's consistently following you is supposed to be some sort of, like, pent-up the sexual thing about him yeah. being violent and angry all the time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and, yeah, when you make the connection that, oh, Pyramid Head is James's psyche, that... You know, like your he's very volatile. Yes, yes. Oh man, Silent Hill Two is one of the best games I've played this year. I, I <laughs> haven't played it until recently, and I'm so glad I did. <laughs> I think we plan on going through all th- uh, the all four of them because uh, yes, I, from my understanding, the first, the first, like the the mainline four ones are fantastic. Yeah. yeah so um, I've heard mixed things about uh, the fourth game, but I've also heard that it's interesting, but it's different. So. I, yeah. I I would be curious to hear your guys's get some Silent Hill Saturday going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm in on that. Uh, and your fa- one of your guys' favorite topics on this show, Undertale. Yeah, we've talked about Undertale on the show a couple times before. Uh, it's you know what I'll I'll let you take this one away because I, I I I kind of have my own thoughts, but I want to see like the direction this will. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, while Undertale, one of the biggest things that the community always sticks to is that you got to play it as a pacifist game. Yep. And be damned if you do it any other way. <laughs> yep, that is that is so what we've we talked about out before. A huge conversation about this on the show yeah. uh, because it wasn't it wasn't relevant to the topic we were discussing for that episode. But yeah, no, uh, continue. <laughs> so playing a pacifist, you get this very set story, and. It's interesting and it's very it's very cute, it's very fun, it's very uplifting. But as the game goes, the game gets dark and if you play the homicide playthrough, the story takes a very different turn. In fact, it almost goes into almost a completely different story. Um and the homicide playthrough where you are killing every monster and every character you come across in in battles, uh they kind of contextualize it as the they were taking kids heart hearts and souls and trying to open a portal to go and uh, go into the human world but uh when you're doing this homicide run the way they explain it off is that the first child that was sacrificed named kira kara uh kara kara is controlling your actions and is very angry i and also want to point out sorry uh that that kara's name is whatever you name the protagonist oh, okay yeah, so Kara's the default name, but Kara's actually like you know if I were to name the uh the character at the name entry screen uh Dylan, Dylan would be the first child. Okay, yeah, because when you give yourself a name, that's not the name the game goes for, right? Yeah, no. Uh, the the canon name of the kid you're controlling is uh Fisk, I believe, or Frisk. Okay, yeah, and so they're they're saying that you're being possessed by Kara, and. Your actions are, are trying to get revenge and also trying to get out into the human world to get revenge on them as well. 
So it, it actually takes the game of you trying to merge the worlds and help everybody live in harmony to know you're murdering everybody because a ghost kid wants to murder everybody. Because <laughs> you, you, you got a murderer in you. Yeah. yeah. And so, and that, so that's, that's, it takes oh, away your agency as well because, again, you're being controlled. Yeah. Well, I, I don't mean to um actually because I don't want to be <laughs> that guy. No, go for uh, it. I, I think the the interesting thing about Undertale for me is that you are that person uh you are the one controlling uh uh frisk i keep wanting to say fisk but that's the kingpin from spider-man um but uh, okay but imagine that mashup (laughs) (laughs) but uh when you do the uh the good ending for undertale when you when you get the perfect ending uh the the main villain of undertale as it were uh actually uh you know is living a happy life and then when you go to start when you start the game back up again after beating it he will plead with you not to set things back to the way they were because he he he's finally happy um and he he calls you out by name so if you know if it's kara he'll say kara but if you put in your name he will say chris don't start a new game <laughs> um so like you are not playing the role of uh frisk you are playing the role of this malevolent entity who's using this world as his own plaything. You know, a gamer. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that really got me. I'm glad. (laughs) Um, So I I just like the fact that it just shifts the game around into a a whole nother set set of rules and way that that, that it ends up coming about. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's fun because it's... It's interesting the way that it subverts your actions, but only does that based on your actions. Yeah. Like, it's a cool balancing act of, like, it it takes away your agency, but only because of the choices you made. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's Undertale is fascinating in the way that it handles that, and, like, mm-hmm. I know that, that, that we don't need to get into the whole this whole can of worms, but, like, that's the reason that I find that, like, only play the pacifist run narrative so frustrating is like no they're doing really cool shit (laughs) yeah in these other ways of playing like there's fascinating story stuff going on and i understand that it's not happy and i understand that it feels bad but it's still really cool yeah and there's uh, there's new abilities there's whole new routes and different people talking different ways so like everyone's kind of afraid of you it's there's a lot of going a lot of stuff going on there yeah i would argue sans would not be as memorable as he is if you don't play the genocide route yeah because he his boss battles are crazy they're so good yeah yeah uh chris uh we were talking about this off off mic but um you know uh people are kind of obsessed with the this idea that the perfect ending is the only way you can play undertale and that is frustrating. I, I think, like, what we eventually... What I eventually said at the end of that conversation is, like... I feel like this game does such a good job of kind of selling its world and its characters. And the genocide route feels so irreversible and absolute that... You know, don't police how other people play games, obviously. But, like, there's always a, a feeling of anxiety where it's like... God, I really hope you don't hit this event horizon... Yeah, yeah. Um, I will suggest. I will suggest though to avoid the genocide route first because the game kind of remembers it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is also very cool. Yeah. 
Did you guys want to touch on the last couple little ones? Um, oh yeah, Chris, go right ahead. Well, be- because we've been talking about them throughout, I will say I I had a couple of thoughts of like little instances of games kind of pulling the rug out from under you. Uh, that I'll touch on very quickly, but I I think they're not as worth talking about in depth for this topic and how this topic shook out. But maybe we'll come back to something about this. Um, but I was thinking about there's a recent game that came out called Katana Zero, that is very fun. It's a like time manipulation samurai game. Doesn't it play like vaguely like 2D Hotline Miami? Yes, it's a little yeah. 2D Hotline Miami because like you can only take one hit, but also all the enemies can only take one hit. Uh, and so it's a lot of, like, trying to get through these side-scrolling stages without dying. Uh, and Each if stage you, is like a puzzle. Yeah, you and, pan it, out and if pan you out. die, you just hit one button, it resets you. Uh, but you've also got, like, the power to slow down time, so you can, like, knock bullets back or, like, use that to, like, slide to safety if it looks like you're about to get hit. It's a very fun game, and, like, not particularly long. I think I beat it in four-ish hours, four or five yeah, uh, but well worth playing. Uh, but it does a lot of things where the fact that you can rewind time is a narrative point. Your ability to manipulate time as it comes out in the course of the game is an effect of like a super soldier drug that you were caused to use in totally not the Vietnam War. And as the game goes on, you're doing these missions for the for your therapist. And in exchange for the missions, he gives you, doses of this drug so you don't relapse as the game goes on you find out that your therapist is maybe not as reliable as uh you initially thought and you start doing things on these missions that are not approved and so he starts withholding the drug and you start having like less like you still have control over the power in the missions in the mission structure where you need it to like play the game but the cutscenes start to incorporate this time manipulation in ways that are not always under your control. And you start having, like, time skips, and you start having, like, fugue instances of, like, time passing without you knowing what happened. Oh, and wow. so it, like, It'll flash, and then, like, time has passed, like, a yeah. couple hours have passed. You're like, wait, what happened? Yeah, oh. and it's... They do such interesting things with, like, making that time manipulation into a core facet of how the story works and a core facet of like how much or little you know about what's going on it's really cool and it's really worth playing uh and it's like it's hard to tie in because i i know we put a blanket spoiler warning on but i don't want to spoil it too much because this is a game that's new enough and quick enough that i think you know i've given a little bit away but i haven't given enough away that like any of the really cool things they do with this kind of twisting has no, it spoiled. came out in March, so yeah. it's still real new. But definitely worth checking out if any of that sounds interesting. And then one of the others I want to—I just want to bring this moment up because even like what 12, 10 or twelve years after this game came out and after I played it, I still think about this every now and again. Uh, Batman: Arkham Asylum, one of <laughs> one of my favorite games of its sort of like era of time. You're Batman. You're exploring Arkham Asylum. You're dealing with. A whole bunch of his rogues gallery. Uh, and in that game, there are frequently instances where... Uh, I said the Riddler moment. I meant the Scarecrow moments when we were talking about this beforehand. But you get you get gassed by Scarecrow with his fear gas. And in order to escape from like the nightmare hallucination he has put you under, you have to solve these kind of platforming puzzles and make your way through these very surrealist hallucinatory 
landscapes. And they're they're playing on different aspects of like Batman's traumas and like his fears. So there's one where like you realize it's going into one of these sequences when you start walking down a hallway and the hallway is doing a fucking like vertigo zoom and just getting longer and longer and suddenly you're young Bruce Wayne and you're hearing like the police station in the aftermath of your parents' death. They do a lot of think, cool things. With I these. think my favorite one of those was where you are the Joker and you're playing as... It's the whole intro. Yep, the intro that's, of the and game. that's what I wanted to get to because yeah. the, 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 final, uh, the final one of these... You walk into a room and you start to get a little bit of, like, that telltale, like, the sound design and the visual cues that, like, maybe a Scarecrow section is coming. Mm-hmm. And then the game, like, freezes. And it goes back to the title screen of the game. And then when it starts playing through, it's Joker sitting in the Batmobile taking Batman into Arkham Asylum instead of the other way around like it was at the beginning. But the way that they, like... They build this moment of, like, tricking you, the player, into thinking the game has seized up and, like, you've lost your save file <laughs> is the fucking best. Oh, dude. <laughs> like, again. And I like that you can actually kind of tell when you start getting nearby because you start seeing gas pumping out of vents if you look yep, close enough. Yep, yep, yep. Mm, and, like, so that's like, that's oh. very tangentially related to what we're talking about, but that's it felt relevant in that, like, that's not the game necessarily presenting an unreliable narrator. But it's giving you a moment of fear that the system you are using to play the game is unreliable. Just for an instant. And it's brilliant, and I want to see more games fuck around with shit like that. Because it, like, genuinely freaked me out the first time I played it when I was, what, like, 14, 15. God, that game's awesome. good. Yeah, that game's real good. Yeah, That's, uh, that's all just, I've got. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was going to say, just real quick, just uh, the, with Tales from the Borderlands. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, the, yeah, yeah. The two main characters are constantly, they're, they're going over the same story, but it's different perspectives, so you're just seeing two different parts of it. Yeah, that one's very Boondock Saints in a way, because in addition to seeing it from different perspectives, they're also like fudging it a little bit, so the exact details of what you do see when the perspectives overlap are different depending on whose narration you're hearing it, re- it reminds me of those movies like desperado and once by a time in mexico mm. each like there's a there's one called the mariachi then in desperado they retell the story of the mariachi but way over exaggerated yep oh that's and, good and Very... then in once by a time in mexico they tell a story about from desperado but again more exaggerated yeah it's it's willem dafoe and boondock saints being like they're brilliant right after you've seen the two heroes like bumble their way through the situation that is being examined. Mm. Uh, and then the last one was uh, Portal 1 and 2. Uh, oh, just I hadn't Glados. even thought about Portal. Holy shit. Yeah. And, and Wheatley. Wheatley's constantly like, oh, I'll help you out, I'll help you out, I'll help you out. And then at the end, it just he tricks you into yep. it was an evil hidden agenda. And then you have to team up with the bad guy from the first game. Exactly. God, I want to yeah, go back yeah. and play Portal 2 now. God, I love Portal 2. Yeah, we should do the two-player mode. <laughs> That'd be, yo. Hey. That's a but whole other thing. Though. I know it's a whole other thing. It's uh, awesome. It's it. Uh, it's so good. I need to buy Portal Two on my yeah, same. computer now, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we tackle it. Yeah, hey, that's uh, a callback. Anyway, I don't think I've got anything else on this topic. I think we've 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 gone long. We've dug deep. We've we've done our due diligence. I have to record. Dude, you remember in thirty minutes? <laughs> I believe in you. I believe in your voice. Uh, uh, no, I'll be fine. <laughs> so, thank you to all of you listeners for tuning in. Uh, thank you, Alex, for coming on the show and talking to us, and thank you for you know doing 
the thing that we keep saying we're going to start doing, which is research. <laughs> hey, man, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, I was, was excited to be part of it. It was yeah, awesome no, to have you. Yeah, no, it was good you. to have uh, you on, man. And all of you out there, out there listening, go listen to Super GG Radio. Find them wherever you get your podcasts. Give them a listen. Drop some ratings and reviews. You know the deal. All that, sh- all that shit that us podcasters ask you for all the time. Check them out. Show them some love. Also, maybe check out our stuff, Backstage Gaming, on Twitter. And, well, I... I forgot how we do this, Dylan. I just had a complete brain fart. Uh, <laughs> Backstage Gaming. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating. Leave a review. Find us at our website, bsgpod.com. There's a contact form. That's how Alex got in touch with us, and we had him on the show. So who knows? Maybe the same could happen for you. Yeah. We also have social media. I'll take it away. Um, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at BSG underscore cast. And we also have a YouTube. Um, you know, if you please, please, please tweet about us. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, you should use the hashtag BSG pod. Um, also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brennan French for the key art he has provided our show. If you like his stuff, you can check him out at Brennan French. Uh, sorry, Brennan hyphen French dot squarespace dot com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen french dot squarespace dot com you can also find him on instagram dot com slash brennan french arts that was impressive oh thank you we've done <laughs> it for a while <laughs> also thank you to our friend bioquery the musician behind our theme song dot sound radio volume one instrumentality he's a great electronica musician and producer and you can find his music by searching for bioquery on spotify that's b-i-o-q-u-e-r-y or by going to soundcloud.com slash bioquery Thank you to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. Go check out their, uh, they retweet all of the different shows on the network. So check out at HPVG Pod Network for uh, more info about all those shows. Thank you to our patrons, patreon.com slash BSG Pod. Uh, this show would not be as good or as reliable without the sense of obligation we have towards you. Um, so thank you for your support. <laughs> if you like us and want us, like I said earlier, if you like us and want to help us do this more and better, uh, patreon.com slash bsgpod is the way to do that thank you for listening thank you alex thank you super gg radio uh i got nothing else to say i'm uh i'm pretty good alex do you have anything you wanna i know we already did the uh playbook but if you want to do a last like last minute plug feel free uh super gg radio on facebook uh super gg radio at twi- on twitter uh give us a like give us a listen and review on most podcast services anchor.fm slash super gg radio Uh, And that's pretty much it. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for being on, and thank you all out there for listening. (laughs) Bye-bye. Goodbye now. GG. (laughs) GG.